explore the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Welcome into the Alana Enquirer podcast, After Dark. Uh, this will probably go past midnight, as I usually do. And when it gets late, I don't know why uh, with these games, but I like to call it Mike Latulip. And what a victory for Illinois, 75-71 in overtime with their star player on the bench. Really not able to score much down the stretch outside of a great gutsy performance by Trent Frazier. Uh, but defense locks this one down, Mike. But uh, I know Iowa was the marquee win, and it should be. That's a huge resume booster. But to follow it up with this kind of uh, gritty performance, defensive performance uh, on the road in a tough-to-play-in game, um, this is one we'll remember uh, once uh, Selection Sunday comes out, when, once the Big Ten title you know, is, is decided. Um, this is a game I think we'll remember uh, for this Illinois season. Yeah, I think I, I think I tweeted it right after the game, but this, this was a grown man win. It, it really was, and I think for a myriad of different reasons. And I and and you could probably make the argument, and and I don't know if this is just recency bias, but you could probably make the argument this is the biggest win of the season. I and I really believe that, and and I, and I say that not just because of the game itself. I mean, coming off the Iowa game, I mean, when you look ahead at the schedule, when you look at where Illinois sits in the in the Big Ten standings right now. Um, what the, what it looks like right now after a win compared to what it probably would have looked like after a loss, um, kind of being jumbled up with about three to four other teams. And, you know, I think when you go down the list, it's, you know, if they drop that game tonight, they're seven and four, you know, Iowa's seven and three, Ohio State's eight and four, um, Wisconsin's eight and four, and then you're really only a half game ahead of Purdue. Um, and then Rutgers is kind of knocking on the door and you kind of just fall into that, um, I don't know, kind of into the mix there. And and right now they're kind of keeping their head above water um, and staying out of that dogfight in the middle. Um, and right now, you know, I'm waiting for February 11th too. I don't want to look ahead uh, past the Wisconsin game, obviously, but um, I want Michigan to start playing some more games. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, this was, like I said, I mean, it was a gut check. It was a gut check win, um, you know, because you have every excuse in the book. Uh, you know, I, I thought the way the game was officiated at times and, you know, you can, you can probably make that argument, but also you can make the argument of, hey, we lost our star player to, to foul trouble and um, multiple guys fouled out. And we had, we had freshmen that were anchoring our defense in overtime of, of a pivotal Big Ten game. I think it says a lot about this team, and, and I'll go ahead and say right now, I don't think they win that game in December. Um, yeah. I really don't. Like, I think these guys have come a long way. And uh, like I mentioned a couple of weeks ago after, after the Ohio State game, um, and after the Maryland game, this is a team that's their, their finished product is not going to be in in January. It's not going to be in December. And I think we're starting to see them start to put it together a little bit uh, and have different guys step up at different times. So, man, from by all accounts, wasn't the most aesthetically pleasing basketball to ever watch tonight. But um, if you love the the defensive side of the ball, if you will. Uh, it doesn't get much better than what they were doing there in the second half in overtime. Yeah, I got so many follow-ups to that, and I do want to ask you about playing in games that are officiated like that, but uh, just for the broader 
strokes here. Um, I mean, some of the big wins we remember last year, like Wisconsin winning up there was a monster win. That's when Io starts his late game heroics. Um, the Purdue yeah. on the road, I think it was like, oh man, this team's legit. Michigan winning on the road with Io's heroics. But like nobody remembers like that three-point win at home against Rutgers. Right, that that was really right. gritty, right? But you need that win to win seven in a row. Um, Penn State right. was a monster win, but you had a win at home against Indiana um, the week before that Iowa win. That was huge. Yep. Uh, they, that allowed you to win five of six, and this feels like like one of those games, Mike. And um, I, I do want to ask you defensively. Illinois wasn't very good in the first half. I think it was one point two eight points per possession for an Indiana team that's not very good. The second half, it was under 0.9. Overtime, it was 0.42. Like, what changed with them defensively, and, and what makes them good defensively when they are clicking? Yeah, I thought it was it was a couple things. I think I thought for one, they they kept them off the offensive glass. And maybe if you break down the numbers, you know, maybe it was the Indiana had five in the first half and six in the second half. But um, not all, not every offensive rebound is the same. Um, you know, some are just long rebounds and um, may just go over your head. I thought I thought there were a couple of times that, that, quite frankly, Illinois got punked for offensive rebounds in the first half, and I didn't think that was the case in the second half. And then, quite honestly, they, they took a page out of Indiana's book and really, really shrank the floor um, and were just in gaps. There weren't any driving lanes for, for any any Hoosiers, and, and when there were driving lanes, you're angling them away from the basket. And, you know, you got Durham and a couple of these guys, Franklin, who have to take these off-balance shots – Trace Jackson Davis, same thing. I thought Kobe did. I thought you know Kobe did a tremendous job in him. You could look at the numbers and say, "Hey, 19 and 14," um, but that's a 53 percent, um, you know, percent guy from the field who just shot 33 yep. percent tonight. Um, and, and a lot of that was was Kofi was just so good on on absorbing that initial contact that, quite frankly, Trace Jackson Davis you know makes a living on when he can square up and then he puts your shoulder into you and that's when he can create space to make his next move. And I thought that's what wasn't there for, for, for TJD tonight, if you will, was he made that first move and was going into a a, a stone wall. Um, And then everything from there was off balance and off kilter. So, um, so I thought what they were able to do, uh, I thought their ball pressure was fantastic. Um, The Illini that is, Uh, I thought I, I'm starting to see, and I'm sure you are as well, just how active and, and, and more confident, Andre Curbelo is on the ball Mm -hmm. and and it was, and it really was great to see how active and confident he was on the ball in overtime with four fouls. Um, You know, he could have easily been like, ah, I I don't, I know I'm, I'm kind of the lead guard right now. You know, I don't want to foul the game. He threw all that out the window. And and then even in overtime there, you have two guys, uh, Grandison, who, as we know, in the middle of the season, wasn't playing much, comes in and takes a huge, huge charge uh, Adam Miller, same thing to start the overtime period. So um, I was just really proud of how those guys finished the game because when you look at the beginning of the game, the first play of the game, you know, Durham hits that three. Adam Miller gets labeled on a screen, labeled on a screen, can't, and, and he didn't get through the, the stagger away. And those are kind of the plays you look with like, ah, this is it's not a good way to start the game, so how is he going to respond? And I thought he responded well. You know, it's not like he was putting the ball uh, in the basket a ton tonight, one for six. But I thought he made some timely defensive plays and uh, was kind of Johnny on the spot in some situations. So um, by all accounts, that defense, I mean, when you hold a team to 30 points in, in the second half and overtime, yeah. uh, you're doing your job. 
and most of that was at the free throw line too. I mean, that was the only right. thing defensively that he didn't like was all the following. But let's take a quick break and we come back. Mike, let's talk about playing in an officiated game like that and dive more into this game. That's coming up next. If you want to win your fantasy football league, it starts right now. The offseason is the best time to get ahead of the competition. We'll help you win your league on the Fantasy Football Today podcast, part of CBS Sports Podcast Network. Fantasy Football Today has three episodes every week following the latest news, giving you early rankings, early sleepers, breakouts, and busts. So if you're a dedicated fantasy football manager, check out the most dedicated podcast, Fantasy Football Today. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Ready? Go. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Hang on! It's off the charts spectacular. Go, go, go! Tom Cruise has outdone himself. The world's coming after you. Stay out of my way. Prepare for one of the best action movies ever made. This is getting exciting. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Now streaming on Paramount Plus, rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. We had 54 fouls in this game, Mike. Um, 66 free throw attempts. Uh, you could tell the rest with that early Trent Frazier technical. Uh, I guess he yelled cash to the bench. Now that's Brad Underwood saying that. But still, I mean, you've played games. like You can celebrate a little bit. You can talk smack. I think it's good for the game. But what is it like to play? in a game like that and how hard is it to overcome that because you saw Georgie and Io go to the bench fouled out um with under three minutes left both of them and you could tell those guys were jawing at the refs or worried about the refs but the rest of the team still took care of business like so how hard is it to play in games like that or what's that like and and how hard is it to overcome it yeah, I mean, it's a loaded question. I think the the one thing that always sticks with me is actually from, you know, when I went to Wright State and, and played for Coach Nagy, and his big thing was always, uh, his big thing was always the people that are complaining about the refs are typically the ones getting their butts kicked. Um, and, and, I, and that'll always stay with me because I thought that's, that's what the Illini did tonight in, te- in terms of uh, not letting any of that get to them, um, having their, you know, their All-American foul out and not even blinking. Um, you know, hey, flip the ball to Andre Curbelo. Let's get this thing done. Um, let's step up defensively. And, and I think that's, that's kind of the, you know, those are the makings of, of really, really great teams. Um, but psychologically, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really, it's, it's really tough defensively um, because for a lot of guys, you don't want to put your hands on a dribbler. Um, cause I thought, I thought there were moments in the second half where, you know, Adam Miller, I was, I was saying, I'm like, God, get your hands off, get your hands off, get your hands off. And they weren't calling it, but then they'll call, you know, they'll call him when he poked the ball away on the, on the, you know, on the defensive rebound that Indiana had. Um, so it's just, it was really weird. The, the spots that the refs were picking tonight, um, it's kind of, it's kind of what makes you scratch your head a little bit. And, and I think as a, as a player, uh, if you get consumed in that, um, you know, then, then you're almost trying to anticipate. Oh man, if I do this, I might get a foul. And, and when you're when you're thinking about things like that, not thinking about, um, oh yeah, I got to make sure to kind of load up on, t- on Trace Trace Jackson Davis's side here. Make sure I get some activity and stunt and, and give Kofi some help and alleviation. Um, you know, it, 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 I, that's that's why when you have senior laden teams, I say senior laden teams. You know, I was an upperclassman. Uh, Demonte, Trent, all those guys, you know, I, I didn't think they blinked. And, and I think as you look at the game and, and how it, yeah, how it turned out, 
against a team like Indiana, who is not particularly great shooting the basketball, I mean, I, I don't know what more you could ask for. Um, obviously, some of the fouls were ticky-tack, but um, they're not a great free-throw shooting team. You know, they're not a great three-point shooting team. So, um, And clearly, that was their plan to start the game. And the, and the reason I tell you that was their plan is because uh, Geronimo had that – had a uh, – he hedged on that screen and got called for a foul and, and Archie was applauding him. So I know for a fact that, um, and he told me, he's like, Oh, I'll t- I, I could read his lips in the huddle saying, I'll take that all day. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that was clearly their plan. Their plan was to get physical and muck it up and make this a, a typical, you know, the typical Indiana game that it's been the past few times that they played is like this grinded out kind of unconventional. It's not like Iowa, right. Where right. it's, where it's free flowing and, um, Quite frankly, just I, I was just poor defensively. <laughs> I mean, it, they're not even going to foul you because they're not in position to foul. Um, so, yeah, like I said, loaded question, but I always go yeah. back to the to the Scott Nagy, you know, the, the team that complains about about getting fouled is typically the one getting their butts kicked. So, yeah. um, I really, really love what I saw from the Atlanta and I just just fighting through that. Well, and that's what I kind of like about this team, and what I liked about this team coming into the season, Mike, is they can they're very versatile. Right. Like they can win games like that, like the physical games they can win. I mean, they don't have the best front line for that. Like they don't have that prototypical four. Like if you had EJ Liddell, you'd have a near, you know, probably have a team like Gonzaga or Baylor. So you're not quite that level, but you have tough guys on the team. You have guys who are tough minded as well. And then you get Kofi Coburn, who just dominates the action at the rim. But you also yeah. push the ball in pace, and you can shoot it um, pretty well. Not like great, you know, the best shooting team like Iowa, but you can play that way. That's why, you know, I've kind of liked this team. So to get that kind of win again after losing that kind of game against Maryland, Missouri, I think it's it's like you said, it's a good sign of growth that I think they probably don't have if they didn't lose those games previously. Well, the other thing, Jeremy, is when you look at the when you look at the team and how it, how the you know the makeup of the team and how this team is comprised, I, I look at a few different things. I think if you go up and you walk into any coach's office in America and say, "Hey, we're going to give you Io Desumu and Kofi Coburn," you cool with that? They'd say, "Yeah, of course they would." But I'm, I'm a firm believer that if you just have Io and Kofi, you're you're still not going to win as many games as as you will because you need roles role players that can help you out in pockets that can help you out in spots. Like, you don't. if you rely on Georgie for an entire game, it's not going to work out. Mm-hmm. If you rely on DeMonte Williams for an entire game, it's not going to work out. But Jacob Grandison and all these guys that can be relied on in those three- to four-minute pockets, I thought Georgie was fantastic to start the second half. Um, you know, when he came in, he obviously hits three. He gets it going to the basket. He has another turnaround, like – you know, and, and he's active defensively. He's clapping because I'll be dead honest, and I and I don't know. I don't know if there are other people that saw this, and maybe this is why Georgie was acting the way he was acting on the on the bench and being overly excited, and Coleman Hawkins waving his towel around. Because when you go back to that game against Iowa, and Kofi gets his own offensive rebound to seal the game, Georgie was sitting down on the bench, didn't stand up. Coleman Hawkins towel around his neck, wasn't even clapping. So. I know for a fact that that was addressed. I don't, I'm, I'm not saying I know that, mm-hmm. but I'm assuming that if you watch film and you see that, that has to be addressed. And it may have been the players that got on them about it. It may have been the coaches. I don't know. But those are the type of things that 
to have him come back in this game. Like Georgie struggled. We all know Georgie struggled. Um, so for him to have the, you know, that, that little pocket of corner three, you know, driving to the basket, you know, getting two more points, like that was big in that moment. Right. And then Trent Frazier big in, in those moments in the second half, Jacob Grandison, uh, you know, came out, made some hustle plays to start the game, had the tip in, started the game with a three. Um, like I said, you can't rely on these guys for 40 minutes. That's just not how the game works. But really good teams ha- have these role players that can help you out when Iowa's in foul trouble, that can help you out when maybe Kofi hasn't gotten it going yet. And, and those are the really, really dangerous teams come March because you're going to have an NCAA tournament game in the second round where Iowa goes, you know, four for 14 mm-hmm. and Kofi maybe has his customary game, but nothing up to what Kofi expects of himself. And like, that's the DeMonte Williams scores 11 points. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's the Jacob Grandison, you know, goes three for three from three and has a couple big offensive rebounds. Like those are the teams that, that propel themselves in March and get to April. Um, it's not just the, I mean, look at the national championship. A few, a few years ago, I get he's an, an, an NBA player, but Dante DiVincenzo came off the bench and yeah. won them the national championship. Like Grayson Allen comes off the bench in 2015 and helps win them a national championship. Uh, like it, those are the type of guys and the type of teams that make it far. Like it's not just hey, if I own Kofi, if I own Kofi, don't have a great game, like we're kind of screwed. Um, you have guys that can step up, and you have guys that are realizing that about themselves, most importantly, so that when it does come to those big moments, that they're ready. Mike, this is great stuff as always, but I, I got to ask about, you know, Kofi Coburn plays 38 minutes, by the way. Uh, he couldn't have done that his freshman year for the most part. Mm-hmm. But Trent Frazier plays 43 of 45 minutes, uh, really limited Armand Franklin, who I, I think is their best playmaker. Uh, by the way, Adam Miller on Finnessy was really good. Finnessy didn't score a point mm-hmm. um, in, in yep. the entire game. But Frazier's flurry <laughs> towards the end there. Um, he scored, I think it was 10 straight points to force overtime, two big threes. He has 19 points tonight. Uh, that comes after 24 points. We know what he means. We know how good defensively he is. But, man, when, he's, when he gets this freshman Frazier offense going again, this, this could really lift the team. Well, I think what you're seeing with Trent right now, um, it's a tough adjustment. I think when you go from the wind at your back freshman that, you know, you're losing games, you know, and like I always say, every, every, every losing team has a leading score, Um, you know, and and I think what happens is, you know, a lot of the shots that he took his freshman year, not a lot of pressure on him, knew he'd get, knew he'd get a lot, um, knew that the shots that were going to come around, like, Hey, I'm going to get 12 shots. So um, I'm going to throw one up and and I know I'm going to get one back. This team's a little bit different. Um, you know, Trent Frazier may only get seven shots in a game. So I think when he made the transition to being a great defender, um, because at some point you have to find not, not that Trent Frazier wouldn't get on the floor, but at some point you have to find ways to, to make yourself even more valuable. And I think he did that making the, you know, making the adjustment to, Hey, I'm the guy that's going to absolutely lock down defensively. But what that does to your offense at times, um, is affected. Like it, it, your, your offense is affected by that. And I think now he's finally getting to the point where he's able to put them both together. And that is scary. Uh, it's scary for a team that already has two potential All-Americans mm-hmm. because I think Trent Frazier, when he's on like this, is an All-Big Ten caliber player. Um, I don't think there's any question about it because he gets, he gets it done on both ends. And I think you're just, you know, you're waiting for that moment. He has three points in the first half, and then you're waiting for that moment where you're like, when's he going to hit that three from the right wing? 
right? Like, like when's he going to hit that three from the left wing? You know, because you know it's just the, it's the it's the customary Trent Frazier stuff, and and he did it in such a flurry. Um, and and I thought, you know, this because it towards the end of the game there, you know, it was they cut it to one, then it got to three, then they cut it to one, then it got to four, and it's like, man, you know that if they get if they can break through the ceiling. You know, they can probably end up taking back control of the game. And that's exactly what Trent did when he hit those shots. Um, you know, and he got the steal going too and finished that layup. You know, I think he he's a guy like they, quite frankly, they just they just don't win. They don't win with him, uh, without him tonight. Um and I think you could say the same thing about Andre Curbello, to be honest. I, I get it. He gives people a heart attack <laughs> when he tries to split every every defender. I get that. But you know, the numbers are the numbers and the dude had one turnover tonight. Yeah, um, Mike, and I don't you know, know how much you buy into this stat. I don't know how much you buy into this stat, but like plus minus, I know can be flawed because a guy can just ride a good wave and have a good plus minus. Um, but Curbelo was a plus seventeen tonight. Um, his only issue was foul trouble, right? I mean, you mentioned his defense. Like all of a sudden, yeah, he's going to get beat, and he's probably going to miss some things. And he had a after he kind of maybe twist his ankle or something. He had a bad foul, um, but. Like he's just he's becoming a much better player. You mentioned turnovers, turnover rates going down. His defense is getting better, and he's still doing the amazing things that he does with a basketball. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think when you look at him, you know, you it's almost like he's he's still losing the ball a little bit, but it's almost like he's understanding where he's losing the ball, <laughs> and he's and he's able to get it back. Yeah. Um, you know, he had that one turnover there in the second half where he where he kind of. Ball got kicked, honestly. Um, but, you know, uh, you look at his numbers and, you know, 24 minutes, three for six from the field and 12 points, five rebounds, four assists, and, and was just kind of the steady calming influence there. And the I say calming influence. I understand that everybody has an aneurysm watching him at times. <laughs> but you got to, like, that's what makes him him. Um, like, you're not going to, like, quite frankly, the, the, the heart attacks that he gives people, like you're gonna have to deal with that to deal with the absolutely beautiful pass that he makes to seal the game mm-hmm. to Kofi. Because guys that aren't guys that aren't confident in their abilities and guys that don't have that just like, you know what, I'm putting my chips on the table, I'm I'm pushing my chips to the middle of the table, let's go out and win this game. I'm gonna thread this needle right here. Like some guys, quite frankly, like they just don't have the cojones, if you will, to do that. And he does. And he won them the game. We, he won them the game with that pass. And, you know, I, I think anyone is just, as you watch the game, the offense is different when Andre Curbelo's in the game, yeah. period. Like, it just is. Like, when he when he enters the ball and makes his little shallow cut back out to the, back out to the wing, he's a threat. I mean, and most times that side is cleared, and he's able to get around guys. And there's no one better. I, I would never advise people to jump in the air and make passes. But Andre Corbello can make any jump in the air pass that he wants to make uh, because he's good at it. And he's yeah. great with those drift passes to guys in the corner. He's great finding those guys and kicking it back out. You know, I he had that great pass to, um, or maybe it was Trent, but I had that great cut to the basket on, on his fifth foul. But guys like Andre Corbello, you know, he gets a little more leeway on those types of things because he can make that pass in the end that seals the deal. Um, and I thought, you know, he had four fouls pretty pretty dang early when you consider going into overtime um and he was able to maintain that's what that's where you show true maturity and growth he's able to maintain his intensity defensively knowing 
that he has four fouls. And, and that's why he's such an asset. And that's why he was such an asset tonight is because you don't have to worry about, oh, God, we got Corbello and Miller out there, two freshmen, overtime, Big Ten, you know, second place, sole, you know, sole possession of second place still on the line here. Um, you know, that that's just another feather in his cap, and that's another thing that I think is your Brad Underwood. You're like, man, this is as we look to the future. Like, we got a little bit of a glimpse of life after Io tonight. And, and, you know, I yeah. think, and I think, uh, you know, a guy like Andre Curbelo is going to benefit from these moments at the end of the game where he can kind of take control and say, you know what, the ball's in my hands. You know, let's trust him and make the right decision. Um, Kofi had point blank shot there at the end of the regulation. Uh, I thought, you know, Curbelo sucked a few guys in and, and, and passed that back out. And, and those, are the, those are the looks that you want. I mean, Dockett was saying on the broadcast, oh, yeah, like the ball's got to be in Trent Frazier's hand. That's not Trent Frazier's game. Right. Frazier's game isn't to create. Like, get the ball in Andrew Curbelo's hands, and there's a better chance of it getting into Trent Frazier's hand at some point. Like, that's why he has the ball in his hands. So, um, a lot to digest, obviously. But um, man, I'm just so proud of what these guys were able to do tonight. Mike, I want to ask you because you've coached, and I, I think you have a bright future as a coach. Um, so, I'll put your coach hat on here. Brad Underwood during his last, let's see here, 31 Big Ten games is 21 and 10. Um, you know, this, he has led Illinois back towards the top of the big 10. And I'm just wondering, what do you think makes him an effective and good big 10 coach? Yeah, I think he, he, he does it the right way. Um, and, and I think the, the best coaches, um, you know, are, are adaptable and the best coaches are able to say, Hey, you know what? Just because I have this system in my head, this you know seven seconds or less system, um, that doesn't mean that it fits with my personnel all the time. So instead of trying to fit fit the uh, the square block in the in the in the in the circular hole, if you will, um, let's adapt it. Like let's mold this square block into a circle so that we can fit it. Like I think what they've been able to do in terms of hey let's 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 mold our offense to benefit Kofi. Um, you know let's not just run around and, and get shots up and uh, let's let's you know, let's win some games the way that we want to win games. I think I thought last year what they were able to do is say, hey, you know, we're going to play these games in the 50s and 60s. We're going to and we're going to win. And then this year you get a little more offensive firepower. You get an Andre Curbelo and, and, you know, it benefits you more to play quicker. Um, and, and that's what good coaches do. And I thought when he came in, you know, I had heard a lot out of out of Illinois practices like, oh, man, he's tough on the guys. Yeah. And, and, and not to say that he isn't anymore, but I think at some point you instill that in your players to be tough on each other. And what I see is a team that is very – I always caution to say, like, it's a player-led team because I think it doesn't give credit to the coaches. The coaches deserve all the credit in the world for making it a player-led team and making guys like Io hold guys like DeMonte accountable and making guys like Io, you know, get on Georgie when you go back and watch film and see that he's sitting down um, – you know, and not not losing his mind as as the rest of his team was as they beat the seventh ranked team in the country. Um, you know, like those are the type of things that make really good coaches and really make a program, right? Like I think Io learns. You know, Andre Curbelo learns from Io, right? Io leaves. Andre Curbelo says, "Hey, you know what? The next guy that comes in, I'm taking him under my wing because that's what Io did." And then same thing. It becomes a cycle. So that's what he's been able to instill at Illinois. And that's why that type of thing has staying power yep. um, is because it's not just, Hey, you know what? We we're really good. Cause we have a couple of really good players. And when these really good players are gone, like, shoot, I hope we're still good. 
um, they have a culture, right? Like they have, you know, they, they have a foundation. And I think that's all you can ask for because, you know, as you look around the big 10, not a lot of, not a lot of big 10 teams have that. Um, and I know even the ones that I'm not going to name names, but I know a specific big 10 team, um, you know, that it's not, it's not all that it looks like on the outside. Um, you know, there's a lot of turmoil on the inside, but they happen to win games. And I don't sense that from this Illini team. So I think come March and April, those tight knit teams, especially when it's a COVID riddled season where there's not fans in the stands, you know, those teams that are tight knit are going to make it the furthest. And I think Brad Underwood deserves all the credit in the world, getting his team to this point and getting Illinois basketball to this point, because I think it's got a chance to, to really continue uh, to blossom as we move into the future. Got everyone guessing who that team now is, Mike. You know that. Um, but now um, I know, like, I can't wait now for this. This Michigan game could be the game of the year, right? Like, but Illinois has to, you know, first take care of business against another great team. Illinois has the third toughest schedule in the country so far this season. Doesn't get any mm-hmm. easier with Wisconsin and then Michigan. And we have no idea what Michigan's going to look like or play like after, what, a 19-day off period here. Uh, but the Badgers right. won again tonight, um, and, and they are right behind you in this Big Ten race. Always a tough team to play. What do you think about that matchup, which is another probably tough physical game like you saw tonight, only probably with better execution uh, from a team like Wisconsin? What do you think, Mike? Yeah, I think ultimately when you look at when you look at a team like Wisconsin, um, they want to do it their way, and and that's never changed. That's always been the, that's always been the case. Um, I think they sprinkled a few years in there with the the Kaminsky Decker, Koenig Hayes, where it's like, hey, we can play a little faster. We yeah. can we can hang ninety five on you. That's not necessarily this team. Um, you know, they want to grind it out. Um, you know, they they got a lot of guys on that team that, uh, I mean, Jesus, they're the you know they're the oldest. They're like the oldest team in America. Um, I've heard they're older than all, the Bulls. We've all seen the lineup. Bulls. Are you about yes. to bring up the Bulls stat? Yeah, I was going to say. I think we've all heard that. I think once or twice. Yeah, yeah no question. Like they've, you know, the, you know, they, they got a, an older starting lineup than the Bulls. So like it's it's uh, you know, they're, they're going to execute. They're not going to turn the ball over. You know, so what that means is, you know, you got to get quality shots on the offensive end uh, because they they you know they do rebound the ball well. Um, but also, I think this is a game where. They don't have – I get Nate Reavers is – I believe he's the all-time blocks leader at, at Wisconsin, but they don't have great interior defense. They don't. Like, they have to take Micah Potter out at times. Um, and I know that doesn't make Micah Potter very happy uh, that he's getting taken out at times. And uh, they do offense defense because I, I think this is a game where you – you know, Kofi's got to have a field day. Um, you know, because what I've seen from from the Wisconsin bigs is – uh, it's kind of a Luca Luca Garza deal where like, hey, they don't want to foul mm-hmm. at all, and and you'll have guys that are in good position and and in the right spots, and Brad Davison's going to be Brad Davison and diving all over the floor. So so be the tougher team, easier said than done, but being the tougher team means a lot of different things. You know, the tougher team makes harder cuts, the tougher team sets harder screens. It's not just diving on loose balls and getting offensive rebounds and boxing out like it's all the little you know i I gotta make this cut even better because i know that that you know tyler wall who you know is a sophomore that's continued to blossom for wisconsin uh he's going to be in the right spot it's the reason why he plays 34 minutes 34 minutes a game lately um you know and and all these guys i mean trice um they're all they're all great players um but they're beatable 
Like I think we should, they showed that last year, um, even in Madison. So I think, you know, don't get discouraged when it becomes like a bogged down, you know, low possession game, just take better shots, you know, be, be opportunistic when it comes to driving the basketball. Um, I thought Adam Miller, you know, at times he can get in trouble driving the basketball, but I thought tonight, you know, if he can do that once or twice a game where you're keeping defense honest, you're not leaving your feet to make passes, but just, just trying to get by a guy, they know you're going to shoot it. They're trying to run you off a line. Maybe you pick up a couple hand check fouls. Um, you know, so I, I think as you look at a team like Wisconsin, uh, it's a great litmus test because I think once again, it shows a team like Illinois who, who scored 98 points on Penn State earlier in the year, right? Who scored 90 multiple times this year and, and over 100 a few times. Like, you know, this is a team that can win in multiple ways. And, and there's just another chance to show that again on Saturday. You're the goods, man. Uh, do, do you actually have to like, what time do you got to wake up for work after I call you after these late games? And that, that's one thing, though. Illinois is getting all these late starts because they're good. So it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Good yeah. I'm on the Eastern time zone too. So um, <laughs> it's one I'm, I'm where you in, are. I, I'm up in Ohio right now at my, at my fiance's parents' place. And um, yeah, so it's, it's 106 a.m. right now. So it's, it's, uh, I typically get up for work around probably around seven ish. Oh, man. And, you know, I make, I make do. I'm good. Uh, I, I love talking hoops with you, Jeremy. So no. I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it any other night. No, we will. We love it. I'm Mike. I can't tell you enough. Like how many people say, get with two up on the podcast, get with two up on there. So try not to wear it out, but, uh, I always love talking hoops with you, man. So appreciate it yet again, man. Of course, man. Anytime. Great stuff as always for Michael Toop. And again, uh, if he's listening to this again, I can't thank him enough uh, for doing this late night. Uh, but I know you guys love it because why wouldn't you? It's great basketball breakdown from a guy who knows basketball so, so well. Okay, it's getting late. I still have player grades. Joey's working on a story on Andre Cabell. Derek Piper's in Bloomington writing up the big what it uh, all means, basically, uh, the big picture of this game. And I do think it's a huge game. I mean, every game from here on out is, is a huge game uh, for Illinois because you're playing for titles, right? You're playing for a Big Ten championship, and this further solidifies it. Every win you get after this further is that goal. Right, like you get one step closer to that goal of a Big Ten championship, which Illinois hasn't had in 16 years. They're in the mix, and boy, isn't it fun to have games like this that matter so so much, rather than being what Illinois has been, which is basically where Indiana is right now. Right, like in Indiana again is on the bubble. Think of when are we going to finally break through as a program? Let's not lose the fact Illinois has that they have broken through. Whether they win a Big Ten title or not, they've been in the mix the last two years. They're one of the best teams in the country. And they further solidified that this with the Indiana win, got another chance against a, a top 20 team in Wisconsin. You win that, you're probably back in the top 10 of the rankings, and then you have a chance to beat Michigan and take control of the Big Ten race. That's all on the table. Despite those losses where everyone felt like, oh, the season's getting away from us, no, it's back on the table because they continue to grow. And that's a kudos to those players. And that's a kudos to the coaching staff and Brad Underwood. Um, so more big games coming up, and we'll cover the heck out of it. And, of course, we've got signing day. You're probably all listening to this. Well, y'all are because it's 1214 as I wrap up this podcast. You're listening to it on signing day morning. Uh, most likely, or afternoon. We'll have all the signing day coverage, just a couple prospects who are signing, uh, but we'll have more from Brett Bielma, who's meeting with us media in just less than 12 hours. So I have a busy Wednesday for you ahead, but I'm going to get to work. 
stay up a couple more hours, get you some content, and then we'll start at it early again in the morning. Everybody, have a great day. Another Illini win to celebrate with it. Uh, take care of each other, and we'll talk to you next time right here on the Illini Inquirer podcast. Citizen sleuths are focusing on the brutal slayings of four college kids. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. This is the start of something major. Follows online detectives as they unravel the mystery of the infamous Idaho College murders. There's plenty of places to hide a weapon. And turned it into a social media phenomenon. Where are the roommates? This is a huge night. What's the truth from you? Hashtag Cyber Sleuths. The Idaho Murders. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus.